Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You've tuned into Freedom of Species Animal Advocacy on the airwaves. Live streaming and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR website. All podcasts are available from the Freedom of Species website and iTunes. I'm Emma Townsend and joining me today is a very special guest from Saved Arabian Pets. When Kathleen Chapman started her campaign about four years ago when she last came into Freedom of Species, 90% of the unclaimed cats uh, impounded in the area of Darabin in Melbourne were killed. Now, the recent stat is 8%. That's a huge turnaround. I I also hear that 2,000 individual cats and dogs in the meantime who would have otherwise been killed have found homes. How did that happen? Hopefully today, Kathleen, we will inspire others around Australia to check on their nominated council pound systems. I certainly hope so, yes. The state of animal shelter in this country is is really awful and we can do much better. And I think the the secret, the the key to improved outcomes for impounded animals is local residents getting uh, active, mobilising and demanding better from their local governments. Excellent. Firstly, uh, let's just, if listeners don't know about Darabin, where is Darabin? What um, area does this cover? Well, Darabin is a municipality in the inner north of Melbourne. So for those people who are, live in Melbourne or are familiar with it, it includes areas such as uh, Northcote, Thornbury, Preston, Reservoir and a few other surrounding suburbs. Okay. So can you give us the nuts and bolts of how... a uh, the regions and council pound systems work as far as like contractors to operate these facilities and how often contracts are actually redrawn. Okay, so uh, every municipality uh, in Australia either has its own pound or contracts uh, a pound. Uh, So local governments, um, uh, well, in in terms of the pound system, it's... uh, or animal management. It's controlled by state government legislation, which is then implemented by the local council. So um, local councils um, impound stray and surrendered animals, and then they um, hold them in pounds. Uh, the period of time that they hold them for varies. In, in the state of Victoria, they're legally required to hold them for eight days. And after the eight days, if the animals aren't claimed, that they, they can either be killed or rehomed. Unfortunately, for the majority of animals, particularly uh, cats in this country, um, most of them are killed at the end of that eight-day period. Mm. It brings to mind in one sense, it's it's an interesting issue because we, whenever, on the good side of it, when people see animals at large out there, cats or dogs, mm. people are pretty onto it and they call the ranger they don't like to see animals in danger mm. near roads and things. So mm. we've, you know, people... The, the issue of so many cats and dogs being in our pound system mm. is hard for people to fathom because you don't see this, do That's you? right. It's very much um, out of mind 
out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so casting back to four years ago, mm. you briefly touched upon it, upon it, but let's go further into it. Tell us about what you found unacceptable with what was happening to the unwanted companion cats and dogs in Darabin? Mm. Well, there was a, an article in the local paper um, about a, a cat called Bubba who was about 15 years old and she ran away in a storm. She was uh, trapped by a neighbour. The neighbour handed her over to the local ranger and she was actually killed on intake to the pound very uh, tragically. Um, I read about that in the local paper and I was quite disturbed by it and I, I looked into the statistics for what was happening to, to the uh, animals in my area and I found out that more than 90% of cats were being killed, uh, 90% of impounded cats were being killed and more than half of unclaimed dogs were being killed and I just found that completely unacceptable. Um, having Having read... Um, Nathan Winograd's book about the no-kill movement in the United States, I knew that there were better ways of doing animal sheltering and I just found it appalling and just completely unacceptable that, that healthy um, animals were being killed in our shelters. So I um, decided to do something about it and I, uh, I started lobbying my local councillors. So I contacted them, I got their details off the, the council website and I contacted them one by one. Um, and I requested meetings with them. And I had to be quite persistent because most of them uh, didn't reply to my, uh, <laughs> to my initial contact. So I just kept, kept calling them and emailing them until they'd agreed to meet with me. Um, some other local residents came along to some of those meetings with the councillors and I just told them what was happening and what I thought should be done to, to ensure better outcomes for animals. Wow. Mm. Can, can we just um, backtrack a little bit there? When mm. you said 90% of the impounded cats mm. were killed after eight days and also over half of their dogs. Unclaimed dogs. Un yeah. Unclaimed dogs, yeah. sorry, were, were killed as well. Mm. Um, have, have we got actual numbers there just to... Well, I did. Yeah. I got the statistics yeah. um, off yeah. the council website. That's, yeah. that's uh, I, I, the actual number of animals are killed. I can't remember off the top yeah. of my head, but it was certainly, I think it was you know around 800 cats per year being being killed yeah. in yeah. Darabin alone. It's yeah. just in one municipality in one, in one city. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have statistics with the wider issue of how many hundreds of thousands of companion animal well, cats and dogs um, in, in some in? in some areas um councils aren't even required to record the number of animals killed so we don't really know how many animals are being killed in pounds and shelters in australia each year um, we often hear the figure uh, 250,000 per year so that, that's just an estimate okay yes. um Let's uh, look at what the word euthanasia mm. actually means because mm. it's become a kind of a coverall for mm. killing for mm. convenience sake. Can you talk That's to us more about that? That's true. Well, I, I was listening to an American um, no-kill shelter director um, speak and she was talking about the use of the term euthanasia and she was saying that as it relates to the killing of, of animals in pounds and shelters, it's a complete, complete bastardisation of the term because euthanasia means, you know, ending a life to to end suffering, in order to end suffering. And that's not what's happening at all in, in the pounds. Um, the vast majority of animals are being killed for convenience. They're simply uh, killed to make space for more that are coming. Um, so they're being killed. Mm. Um, the more acceptable word seems to have become euthanasia that mm. you've just explained for, mm. for various reasons that, you know, cat flu maybe? Uh, some of them have cat flu, yes, um, and, and that's... 
partly because of the um, stress in the pounds. Uh, but, you know, most, you know, cat flu is a treatable condition and, and cats with cat flu should be transferred to foster care rather than being killed. There's no excuse for, for killing for such a, uh, you know, common disease. Mm. So basically you, you, are, you went to the local council when mm. you were outraged mm. and you just started lobbying Different That's right. council members, yeah. That's right. Well, um, first of all, I actually went, to, after reading that article about the cat that was killed on intake at the local pound, I actually went to the, the next council meeting. They had a, a Q&A, and most councils do have some um, way that local residents can can uh, ask a question. And I asked about this incident. I said, what, what have you done to make sure that this never happens again? Um, and what, what are you doing to stop the killing of, of animals in the shelter? Um, the mayor simply referred me to the, one of the council officers and said someone would write to me and I never got a, didn't get a letter and I followed up with the mayor and eventually got a very bureaucratic answer which really took no responsibility for, for what had happened and I was completely dissatisfied with that. And that's, that's when I thought, well, I have to meet with the councillors and I, I met with them one by one. And the first one that I met with was um, a Greens councillor called Trent McCarthy and he um, was very receptive to what I was saying um, he had you know he found out some information further information for me about what was happening and uh, he's been one of the, the strongest supporters of, of no kill within Darabin so there's been you know he's uh, introduced a number of motions um, that, to bring about changes in council practice that have um, re- resulted in more animals getting out of the pound alive. So that mm. um, seems to be a good strategy. Just yes. find the councillor who's going to be on your side. Exactly, yeah? exactly. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I would recommend that anyone um, that's interested in getting better outcomes for impounded animals actually start with the councillors, the elected representatives. Don't don't bother contacting the council officers because they're generally not very interested in in changing. Um, the way things are done, um, so you're much better off going to the councillors. They're the, the elected representatives. And I know a lot of times people are very reluctant to do this. They feel a bit intimidated. But these councillors, they're, they're elected in order to represent you, so you have every right to go to them with your concerns to, to talk about what's happening. You are tuned into Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves, and we are speaking with Kathleen Chapman, a very persistent mm-hmm. Kathleen, um, who is telling us about the um, a very successful campaign she's been a major driver for in the area of Darabin, Melbourne, Victoria, in which she has really turned around um, well, lives um, mm. in that area for companion animal cats and dogs. Um I'm going to read now a quote from you mentioned Nathan Winograd, mm. who wrote the book Redemption, which I know last time on the show mm. you said was a really a game changer for you as far as Definitely. reading what is concerned. Um, so bear with me, it's a bit wordy. Our battle for a no kill nation is not against the public. It is against the cowards of our movement who refuse to stand up to their colleagues and friends running shelters that are mired in the failed and defunct philosophies that allow, indeed cause, killing. Our battle is against those who claim to be a part of our movement but fail to recognise the killing of millions of animals every year as an unnecessary and cruel slaughter and to call it what it is. It is against those who will not do for the animals that, that thing which is their solemn duty to do to change themselves and to demand that their colleagues change when that is what the situation calls for. Mm. Did you find this 
was a major obstacle, like the people actually within the animal movement itself. Did you find that was something you had to fight against? I guess the status quo. Yeah, so definitely uh, people within animal sheltering. Um, Darabin, uh, at the time I started my campaign, Darabin was contracting to the Lost Dogs Home and at the time um, Graeme Smith Dr. Graham Smith was the um, CEO of the organisation, and he's, you know, long been a defender of um, the killing of animals in pounds. As very old school, um, you know, absolutely refused to implement proven programs. You know, um, had very at the t- uh, at the time, you know, the Lost Dogs Home had very limited contact with rescue groups. Um, you know, did very little to market their animals for adoption. And he was he and, and the management of the Lost Dogs Home at the time was very resistant to any changes. Um, they did a lot of scaremongering. They said if Darabin made animals available to rescue groups that people would be attacked by dogs that were unsafe to rehome and people would be, um, you know, bitten by feral cats and it would be putting the public in danger and they wouldn't allow rescue groups to even go to the, the shelter to pick up animals. So we had to put in place this, this system where the animals were returned to the Darabin depot and then uh, went back to rescue groups that way they were they were so resistant to any uh, so hostile to rescue groups that they wouldn't even allow us on the premises to to pick up animals that for rehoming Mm. Wow. So mm. that's something to be up against, isn't yes, it? Yes, wow. yes. And, and people should be aware of that. Um, I mean, traditionally, you know, what we hear is that the, end, the, the key to ending the killing of animals in, in pounds and shelters is to teach people about responsible pet ownership. And, you know, hear that term ad nauseum, responsible pet ownership. And that's actually a really failed policy. I mean, in, with all the, the communities in the United States that have completely ended sheltered killings, and there's hundreds of them now, including the city of Austin, Texas, which is the biggest uh, no-kill community in the United States, the way that they've achieved this no-kill is by changing the way that an- they do animal sheltering. So doing everything that they can to keep animals out of the pound in the first place. So, if, you know, for example, if people are having trouble um, keeping their, their animals, you know, if they've got a behavioural issue, they will, you know, give them tips on how to resolve those issues or if they can't afford pet food they'll give them free pet food Uh, you know being very proactive about getting lost animals back to their homes uh, and also being very proactive about getting animals into new homes so playing putting a lot of attention on um, on you know writing great pet profiles offering great customer service being open at hours that suit people going out into the community and doing off-site adoption events to to get animals rehomed so it's all about changing the way the shelter runs and you know making the shelter a community resource and welcoming the public rather than you know chiding them for being you know allegedly irresponsible um, and I guess uh, you come up against the financial part of it. Mm-hmm. And as these, you know, a lot of when I mention kind of um, this situation, some people go, yes, but I spoke to someone and who's got the $20,000 mm-hmm. to keep these animals alive. Mm-hmm. So what do you have to say about the, the financial side of things? Yes, well, that it certainly is um, something that you will, you know, an argument that you will, will come up against that it, it costs too much. Uh, and, and, you know, initially Darabin started making animals available to rescue groups but wasn't providing any funding and it, and it was, you know, a big a big problem. These, um, you know, I could find foster carers for these animals but the rescue groups were really straining to, struggling to, uh, to afford to, to vet work them. So, um, you know, I guess 
we mobilised members of the community, we put pressure on the council and we said that, you know, it's not right that you're paying the lost dogs home to hold these animals when all they'll do at the end is just kill them. We're saving the lives of these animals and we're not getting any funding and we don't think that's right. So Darabin actually um, introduced a system. Um, when a, a rescue group took a cat or takes a cat, they give them a voucher and the council will actually um, pay for that, that cat to be dissexed. Um, so, you know, once again, you have to lobby the councillors, you have to show them that, that it's important, that um, the community won't accept the killing of animals. Um, and this is something that, that needs resources, you know. So I, one of the things I did was I got local community members to come along to council meetings when I'd be um, speaking, in, for example, in favour of council providing funding and everyone would wear a red shirt or a red dress or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to show that, that they supported this initiative, that it was something that was important to them as residents. You know, council spend, spends money on, you know, sport and recreational facilities, you know, whole, a whole, you know, childcare facilities, what have you. When this is another um, area that the community cares about and it's something that needs to be properly resourced. So you really had a multi-pronged um, Approach, uh, definitely. strategy, didn't mm, you? You yes. were lobbying councillors. Yes. You were getting the community involved to go with you to these meetings. Mm. Um, and you also have your other hat. Um, you've got this very other, <laughs> very heavy hat, which we'll talk about later mm. on in more depth as um, you, your rescue group. Mm. So you kind of really had all all those flags to wave when you mm. went into these, meeting, uh, these meetings and mm. you had the answer for them there, mm, didn't that's you? That's right, You yes. had a template of this is how it's going to work. Exactly. So did you use any other situation uh, where they're already running this kind of a program to take in saying this is yes. going to work? Yes, so we did. I used, um, you know, had newspaper articles about successful programs in other areas. I showed them how, you know, Queen Bee and... Um, in New South Wales, how they had slashed their, their kill rate by working with rescue groups. I talked about, um, of course, Save a Dog Scheme, which is a very um, well-regarded um, animal shelter here in um, in Melbourne, which has a contract with um, Stonington Council. They've really led the way in terms of no-kill. Um, so I talked about some of the things that, that they do. And they've been running for 25 years or yes, more, actually. Yes, that's right. Yeah, They're real, real trailblazers that. here in Australia. Yep. Yes. In Glen Iris, Melbourne. That's yeah, right. They've yes. uh, been a no-kill shelter for so long and mm. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I recommend you know people do a little bit of, of reading about what no kill is. It doesn't it doesn't just simply mean you know you stop killing animals and you start stockpiling them. Um, there's a whole range of programs um, that that uh, that you have to put in place in order to get to to no kill. You know things I've mentioned before like being proactive about getting lost animals back to their guardians, working with rescue groups, um, also providing uh, medical reha- rehabilitation or behavioural re- rehabilitation, uh, getting the community involved in volunteering, running foster care programs, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you are tuned into Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM. We are talking with Kathleen Chapman from Save Darabin Pets and we're going to take a break and we're going to um, listen to a great tune by Queen called Somebody to Love and I thought that would be a nice tune before we um, talk about your work with the um, foster groups. Mm
Australians love their digital equipment and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am Tune in and listen up. You are tuned into Freedom of Species, and that was a tune before the uh, community service announcement there by Queen called Somebody to Love. And um, we're speaking with Kathleen Chapman from Save Darabin Pets, who Wow, started a campaign about four years ago when 90% of the unclaimed cats and dog, oh, 90%, sorry, of the unclaimed cats impounded in the area of Darabin and over 50% of the unclaimed mm. dogs were being killed mm. in the shelter. And Kathleen's been a major, if not the major driver mm. of the momentous change, which has seen that statistic turn around to, mm. what's the statistic again? Well, now it's um, 92% of, of um, cats make it out of the pound alive. Excellent. Yes, and um, all but a, a very tiny number of dogs. It's yeah. a huge campaign mm. and a huge success. Can you tell us briefly, you wanted kind of to use this, make this a template for other people around? That's right. Um, so I think, you know, in Australia we're really... Um, behind where the United States is on on this issue. Um, The killing of animals in pounds and shelters is completely unnecessary and completely abhorrent, and it's something that we have the power to change. So I really want to set a precedent for other councils and other um, Australians to follow. Um, So if anyone, you know, is interested in running a campaign in their local area, they are welcome to contact me via the Save Darabin Pets Facebook page. That's Save Darabin, D-A-R-E-B-I-N, Save Darabin Pets on Facebook. They're welcome to send me a message, and um, I'd be happy to to give them some some advice on, on what they need to do. Okay. Now, in March this year, Mm. Darabin City Council announced they will require its new pound contractor Mm. to operate a no-kill shelter, which Mm. must have been levitating news for you yes yes <laughs> that was the celebration yeah, victory so day. The, yeah. the, um, the pound actually the new shelter the epping um, animal welfare shelter um, opened last monday so it's been open less than a week um, and the expectation is that the new contractor the rspca will rehome all rehomable ca- um, animals um, which will greatly lessen the burden on rescue groups Wow. Mm. So I guess we should just note that a no-kill shelter, there's all, all, always a little bit of euthanasia. I don't think we mentioned that. Yes. Isn't um, there when it's humane? true euthanasia. So, you know, any um, animals that are irremediably suffering, they can be euthanized. And also uh, a very small number of dogs which are regarded as dangerous and, you know, they haven't responded to attempts at rehabilitation. Okay. Mm. To have made this turnaround, mm. it comes at a very real cost yes. when it comes to the heavyweight efforts of the rescue groups mm. who are volunteer-based. Mm. 
tell us about this very large unpaid unpaid component. Um, let's go further into into that, which, which actually makes this new system work. Yes. So uh, when Darabin agreed to release animals to rescue groups, or even before that actually, um, I, I took the initiative of contacting rescue groups and telling them what I was doing and, sa- and said to them, you know, if, if Darabin does agree to release animals to rescue groups, would you be willing to get involved? And um, a fairly small number, unfortunately, only, only a small number replied and said yes, they would. Um, when that, when they, when Darabin did start releasing animals to rescue groups, um, some of the groups said to me, "Look, we're we're happy to take animals, but except we don't have the carers for them. We need we need to find carers for these animals." So then I started to take it upon myself to to find carers, um, and that's a huge part of of what I've been doing up to this point is recruiting foster carers for animals that are on the kill list each week. Um, so I do that via my Facebook page. Um, it is a, a lot of hard work, but it, it has has um, paid off. It has been a successful strategy. Um, uh, I've also you know, help rescue groups with um, fundraising. Got a, a vegan barbecue running today. Oh yeah, <laughs> you can still run down there if you're in Melbourne, Collingwood Bunnings. I dropped in on the way and had a vegan snag mm-hmm. until four o'clock. Yep, that's right. That's to benefit Maneki Neko Cat Rescue. Um, yeah, so there is actually um, just two two groups that two rescue groups that that rehome the majority of animals from Darabin, and that's Maneki Neko Cat Rescue and Forever Friends Animal Rescue. So you mentioned mm. there you you have the Facebook page mm. which you have you send lifelines out. That's you right. call them little lifelines. Yes. Tell, tell us about that and who have you got? Tell us a, a few individuals that are looking for love at the moment. Ah oh, well, um, we do have lots of it's kitten season at the moment, so you know every day council is telling us about. Um, kittens and, and sometimes mother cats and their, and their kittens that need rescue. So if anyone's um, interested in, in uh, fostering, they can uh, welcome to get in contact with me via the Save Darabin Pets page. It's, yeah, lots and lots of cats and kittens every week needing, needing rescue at the moment because of kitten season. Hmm. So they're actually in the pound as we speak, and, and you take them out. Or uh, tell us. Well, Darabin's actually yeah. got a, a really good system in place. Yeah. Um, they've, you know, they, they have listened to, to feedback that we've given them along the way. You know, um, at one stage we had a really sad situation where mother cats and kittens, or sometimes pregnant cats, were going into the pound giving birth, and then all the babies would die from cat flu, um, which is, an, you know, an awful way to go. So I said to to Darabin, you know, let's try and get these, keep these animals out of the pound altogether. So what um, Darabin has, a, they have a rescue um, support officer, and when she knows about, um, you know, mother cat and kittens or just kittens that need rescue that, that are being you know, handed over, she will actually try and find a Darabin staff member to take that those kittens into their home until a rescue group can find a, a longer term foster carer for them. So that that's a really a really great initiative, I think, and I'm really glad and I really appreciate that Darabin um, has listened to what we've said and have tried, you know, continuously looked at ways of improving. So now we're, you know, we're able to, to spare these animals the stress of going into the pound and, and the risk of disease that that, that carries um, and, and get these animals straight into foster homes. So the rescue support officer at Darabin, mm, is mm. that a newly paid position? It is a paid of, position, yeah. yes. It's been around probably for about three years, I think. Yes, and their job is is to liaise between the, the pound and the rescue groups. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and they, you know, arrange for the animal to be released from the pound. They send information to rescue groups. They issue the vouchers that, that pay for the dissexing. 
Mm. So the main change here has been, well, there's a few big changes, but mm. there's one after the eight days of mm. an impounded animal that's unclaimed. Mm. Um, the nuts and bolts of the everyday, then that pers- that officer, the rescue officer, mm. liaises directly with the rescue groups after assessing the animal. Well, the, the pound assesses the animal. Yep. They send the, the information to the rescue support officer and then they forward it on to the rescue groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So under the new system with the new pound contractor, um, Darabin, which is I think a first in Australia, Darabin is actually paying the the pound contractor to hold the animals for 24 days instead of eight days and, and that will give the pound more time to rehome the animal. So most yes, most pounds only pay for eight days for the care of the animals for eight days. That's what they're legally required to do. That's the legal minimum. Okay. And that's all that they do. Whereas Darabin and the two other um, adjoining municipalities that are also sharing the, the the new animal welfare facility are paying for the pound to hold the animal for twenty four days, which will give them more time to rehome the animals. And there is the expectation that if it takes more than twenty four days to rehome the animal, then the pound contractor will cover the cost of caring for the animal for as long as it takes to to find that animal a new home if the animal is adoptable. Right. Mm. So because the RSPCA Mm. is running this new Mm. shelter, how long will they run it for? I think the the new pound contract is 10 years. Wow. So they're a big organisation. So obviously Mm. to take it on as they are, Mm. that you can do it. It's economically viable to do it this way. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I am I am cautiously optimistic that the new facility will be well run. I'm certainly, you know, I want to keep an eye on what's happening. I'd be very keen to see those first statistics about outcomes for animals that have that have been impounded and sent to the new RSPCA run facility. Um, you know, it does concern me somewhat that the RSPCA is, you know, doesn't have a history as a no kill organisation. So I definitely want to keep an eye on, on what's happening. And there is still a role for rescue groups to play because we will still be trying to get to keep certain animals out of the pound altogether so the rescue liaison officer will still be employed and we'll still be um, referring um, certain animals that we can keep out of the pound out of the pound okay Mm. it it brings me to another side of it it's still heavily reliant on your volunteer base and your carer base yes and that's on the run of a very Mm. tattered but the, the kind rag Yes, the rag of kindness. How does that need to change? Yes, well, there's certainly um, an over reliance on, on rescue groups. I think, you know, throughout Australia, you know, when the, the life saving rescue groups are responsible for most of the, the life saving. And it's, you know, we, there is, even those pounds that do work with rescue groups quite often still kill a, a large number of animals. And, you know, there just, just isn't a. It just, we can't rely on volunteers alone. The pounds and shelters need to take some responsibility. They need to be running their own foster care networks and they need to be doing a lot more to market animals for adoption. So they need to be making the shelter a welcoming place for members of the public and they need to promote their animals. You know, in, in the mainstream media, in social media, they need to be doing all that they can to get animals into new homes. Because you, I mean, there are so many beautiful impounded companion animals that's right unclaimed that yes. can make really really beautiful members of the family yeah and unless you are putting these guys out there saying well look at this fella look at this beautiful um dog or individual cat um then you're kind of 
if you're not if you're just thinking about getting a dog or cat, you have no real idea about what's happening mm. in the animal a welfare world or rights world. You just go, oh, okay, I want a certain breed still, wouldn't mm. you? you? That's you, right. You, you, so you know, I think that's and you're scared because you hear people say, no, I want. Oh no, they've all had bad pasts. Mm. They might be really bad behaved. I'm best mm. off starting with a, you know, a. A dog that's not tainted. Mm, so that's yes. There's some myths yeah. about um, shelter and rescue animals. Yes, and I think that's a really important key to to increasing the number of animals that are saved is just letting the public know about the the great animals that are out there for adoption and moving their demand away from breeders uh, and and switching it to rescue groups and shelters. So I guess anyone out there, you could literally start going to your local council, couldn't you, and saying, could you just start up a Facebook page and say, oh, these guys are on the kill list? Well, no. probably not no, because not um, no, because generally <laughs> the, the pounds don't promote their, their yeah. kill lists and um, you yeah. know, the Lost Dogs Home, they don't call it a kill list. Um, yeah. But it's just something that we've arranged that, you know, that the Darabin notifies rescue groups of animals that are at risk or animals that are that are going to be killed if they don't, you know, they don't secure rescue, and then we have at least uh, four days to arrange rescue for them. Oh, okay, mm. excellent. You are on three CR eight double five AM Animal Advocacy on the airwaves, and we've been chatting with Kathleen Chapman from Safe Darabin Pets and also Maniki Neko Cat Rescue. I want to talk about Maniki Neko Cat Rescue's new. Um, Cat Cafe Gallery. Can you tell us about that? I'm just quite amazed. I haven't been there. It's lucky because I stay there and probably move in. Yes, <laughs> it is. A, it's a wonderful place. It really encourages people about it. to visit. Um, so it's only been open since August. The Cat Lounge. Um, so people um, pay. I think it's around fifteen dollars for an adult ticket, and um, they can spend an hour um, in the lounge. It's a beautiful facility. Um, quite a large space with you know couches and um, desks and. Yeah, just a paradise for cats. Um, and there's quite a few cats in there um, that are you know, generally quite outgoing cats, very friendly outgoing cats. And you can just hang out for the hour and, um, and interact with the cats. Wow. So that's in, um, where is in that? Preston. In, in Preston. Yeah, Regent Street. Street, Preston. So is it good to book ahead? Yes, you can book ahead down. online um, on, on the uh, Neko Maniki Neko um, website, so it's www.neko.org.au, uh, and all the cats in there are available for adoption too. Oh, see, so. just oh, imagine that. Just going, if you're out there, how lovely to spend Sunday afternoon after you've been to the vegan sausage, sausage sizzle. sizzle. <laughs> go to the <laughs> Neko headquarters and hang out with the cats. Mm. Oh, and there's also beautiful. a retail centre at the front with um, great range of um, products that make great gift ideas for um, for cat lovers. Yeah running up to Christmas, mm-hmm. and all profit is donated to the rescue organisation mm-hmm. to continue the rescue, rehabilitation and rehoming of cats in Victoria. All right. Last time you were here, Kathleen, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned, uh, given the success and the victory um, of the no-kill facility in Darabin, you mentioned a need for pounds to be more local and not so, mm-hmm. you know, not the super pound system which mm-hmm. we seem to have. Is that part of your advocacy still? Yes, I mean, ideally, I would have liked to have seen, you know, a community-run animal shelter um, just for Darabin, um, but there was the feeling of the council that that was wouldn't be economically viable, and so they elected to open a new animal welfare facility along with Whittlesea and Moreland councils. Mm. I mean, the, the good, the positive side of that is that um, Moreland and 
Whittlesea have, have gone along with, with Darabin. They all have the same conditions in their contract. So not now it's not only Darabin that's paying um, the contractor to hold the animals for 24 days, it's Whittlesea and Moreland too. So we're definitely going to see improvements in the outcomes for animals from, from those other municipalities as well. Yeah, so I guess yeah. It, yeah, last time we were talking about how the super pound system that yes. covers, you know, these like Lost Dogs Home or SBCA uh, cover huge vast areas that's and right. like local council pounds have shut down to go into the... That's right. And so you wouldn't know that you have a, you know, exactly. your pound might be ages away. Exactly. And it makes it harder for people to reclaim their animals. And it means these pounds, you know, they're way outside of the communities that they're meant to be serving and they're just not a part of the community. You know, people don't think to go way across town to, to adopt an animal. So yeah. I think a more localised community with more community engagement that's really the way to go would be ideal but mm. i guess when you're making the time the kind of advocacy and the changes mm. it's kind of convenient isn't it whoa i've i've made the change for that vast area mm. now if you if yeah. you have those momentous changes in uh, policy mm. i'm wondering now if you've got some breath left mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to just briefly touch on the issue the trap neuter return for cats mm. was a big thing on your advocacy last time can you tell us tell listeners what this is and i imagine it might be getting harder to advocate this when cats are the the real the latest mm. you know uh, pests to be demonized mm. as far as threatened species are concerned mm. can you comment on that well that's i mean that's an area where there's still a lot of progress to be made um not even darabin is is implementing that um trap neuter and return is a way of managing a free living or community cats uh so instead of you know, trapping these animals, sending them to the pound and killing them because they're not suitable as to be pets. What is done is that generally volunteers trap the cats, uh, arrange for them to be dissexed and then put, take them back t- to their original habitat. And this has the benefit of um, stabilising the population. So cats are quite territorial animals. They'll occupy the territory. They'll stop new cats from coming in. And uh, through trap neuter return, because the cats are sterilised, the numbers are stabilised. If you trap animals, send them to the pound and then kill them, more animals will quickly breed up from the area that in the area where you've removed them, and you just have this endless cycle of trapping and killing. Um, so trap neuter return is actually a really important part of the no kill equation. It ensures that cats that are unsocialised, that are not suitable as pets, have a life saving, have a, a live outcome. I mean, it, when unsocialised cats go into the pound, they're almost certainly going to be killed because, you know. They're, they're not tame, they're not socialised to humans, they're not used to human interaction and they'll, they're very fearful and not, not adoptable. So this trap neuter return is a very important way of ensuring that these animals get out of the pound alive and it's a very humane and sustainable way of managing free-living cat populations. I'm very concerned about the direction that this country is taking in terms of um, their attitudes towards cats. You know, the, the federal government is certainly uh, whip, whipping up a lot of hatred towards cats and it's really scapegoating them. I think it's sort of drawing attention away from where it really should be and that is, um, you know, protecting habitats, wildlife habitat in order in order to... To, to protect species, protect biodiversity. Instead of, of doing what they need, need to do, they're scapegoating cats. Yeah. It's mm. interesting, is it? Because, I mean, no one's saying that any species has, I guess, a positive impact and a negative impact in the environment from what I hear. Mm. But also you, you mentioned that we need to consider more and there's a lot in the media now about oh, 
the habitat destruction, mm. our logging, our land clearing mm. is at feverish rates. And, of course, that's breaking down the homes of these threatened species mm. that we um, believe we care about. But mm. And it's opening up, especially with cats, isn't it? It's, this land clearing is opening up areas which then predators, not just cats, mm. can see the smaller bird or you know native marsupials mm. and of course they're going to prey on them but you're saying also that in the urban environment as well if you accept that cats are there you have a local cat system so the cat that comes to the pound that's really as they say feral or mm. wild and can't be rehomed is mm. better off serving the community you're saying in the environment where you found it de-sexed because mm. then it will keep the cat population down over time is that that's right how yes. i understand yes okay. that's right well i think it's time for some community service announcements now we'll be back after this for one night only the great forest national park is coming alive at howler brunswick october 29th at 7 p.m celebrate our diverse victorian wilderness through provoking forest projections and performances by Shane Howard, Zach Sabre and DJ Dillian Page. All proceeds go towards the Wooden Society's work on the Great Forest National Park campaign. Tickets are just $25 from Moshtix. That's moshtix.com.au. Just search for Howler. So come and enjoy a unique night out and be wilder. B. Wilder is a 3CR supporter. This time we'll pass away. This world may not be to stay so much. You are on Freedom of Species, uh, animal advocacy on the airwaves. Uh, now, that was a great fundraiser. It should be a great night for the Great Forest National Park campaign, which endeavours to protect a lot of our beautiful, unique forest areas in Victoria that are unfortunately being cut down as we speak. Vic Forest isn't doing its job, but I tell you who is. A lot of volunteer organisations such as Gungura Environment Centre, they are having a citizen science survey camp coming up in november so that's friday november the third you've still got time to get your your boots on and join them and it goes from the friday to the the seventh actually in quark forest which is in quark gap sort of you go to orbost and keep going that's that's my my general direction now it sounds like a fantastic event not only will you be in the beautiful old growth forests of East Gippsland, but you will learn from the dedicated and passionate ecologists and activists at Gecko, whose citizen science campaign is saving scientists, is saving forests from logging. Not saving scientists, <laughs> saving forests from logging. This camp will visit forests on the lands of Bidawil, Gunakunai and the Monero people. We acknowledge their ongoing custodianship of these forests and pay respect to their elders past and present. Now, the camp is free of charge. Donations to cover costs are very welcome. Not only will you gain skills, but you'll 
you don't have to have any experience, by the way. So it will be everyone I know that's been in one of these citizen science camps have learnt so much and absolutely love to be able to contribute to this important work. Workshops and practical sessions will focus on for forest ecology, threatened species survey techniques, remote fauna cameras, nocturnal spotlighting, owl surveys, frog and aquatic surveys, rainforest identification, forest carbon accounting, tree climbing and more. So there you go. For more information, please go to the Gungura Environment Centre webpage. Wow, we really seem to be at a, a place in time where it's all volunteers doing all the work, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, these guys are amazing because mm. they've gone out and they're getting the data that Vic Forest should do with their environmental assessment. Mm. Um, Such a shame we don't have a government that shows more leadership on these issues. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So they're the ones that are like getting the data out saying, no, this threatened species is there, the greater glider's there, blah, blah, you cannot literally log. And this stuff, they get the data mm. and literally stop logging it's a fantastic. day later saying the government you're not doing your job so yeah please um get on board and help those guys out if you can't i'm sure they'd appreciate a donation or two thank you so much kathleen thanks for having me emma you're off to back to the sausage sizzle that's right. Alex Collingwood. the vegan sausage, the vegan sizzle. sizzle. <laughs> a shout out to all the cat rescue groups out there mm. there's so many great ones isn't there there's um best friends Forever yeah. Friends. Forever Friends uh, rescues a whole range of um, animals now, not just cats, also dogs, um, horses, guinea pigs, birds, you name it. Wow. Yeah. And there's Cheltenham Cat Rescue. So there's a great there's a great rescue organisation wherever you're in Melbourne. Mm. Um, I know that Mornington Pound, just a shout out as well, there's a big campaign going down there. Is That's that right. right. Rosie Fisher is running a great campaign uh, down there. They've got a Facebook page, I think it's Save Mornington Pound Pets or Save Mornington Pets. So she's really... Um, active on this issue she's been organizing rallies she's got it running a, a facebook page um, she's writing to councillors um really really starting to get things happening down there which is really important yeah great mm. so if you're around that area uh, getting get in contact with um save mornington pets mm. yeah excellent right we shall get going now and the outro tune is by tom petty who passed away a few weeks ago now, and it's called Learning to Fly, um, which if you're a new activist out there, I guess we're all learning to fly somewhere, <laughs> aren't we? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Have a great week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.